Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Industry Spotlight. What is it now? It's episode five? Yeah. Episode five. Okay, good. And um, we've got a couple of new topics to talk to you about today, including the new Google Chrome ad blocker, uh, also demonstrating value with content marketing. Uh, we're also going to discuss the new Amazon Cloud security concerns that have come out in the media and the new Google Pay. So the first topic today we're going to be talking about is the new Google Chrome ad blocker. Um, so this affects uh, a lot of publisher sites and what it'll do is basically when a user visits as a publisher site, the most offensive and disruptive ads that will uh, normally be generated on that site, they'll be blocked by Google. Yeah, so there's loads to this. Obviously Google makes tons and tons of money off ads, so that's a uh, big Big thing, because they might be blocking their own ads, so we've been discussing this internally. Um, I'm, I'm, my personal opinion, they're going to sidestep this. Obviously, they're not going to uh, block their own ads. I very much doubt that's ever going to happen. Um, I'm well, sure no, they'll... It's, it's been enforced by the trade body uh, coalition, so I think everybody's had to sort of dance to the tune on this. But I think so. surely Google come up with alternative methods of carrying on taking customers' money and displaying ads, so rather than just say, oh, we can't take your money for those anymore. I'm sure they'll uh, figure out a way. To still, still make all the money from it. Yeah, it's basically just another move for user experience, isn't it? Pop yeah. Pop-ups, pre-stitial ads. Yeah, and if they can get rid of some of the competitor ad networks' ads off web pages and push them all the people towards Google's ad network, then happy days. The, that's the thing, though. A lot of the, obviously, uh, GDN is one of the biggest ad networks out there, so that's probably going to be the worst affected. The thing is, as well, um, a lot of these ad formats are double-click inventory, so they're almost shooting themselves in the foot a little bit and taking it away. And there's only so many ad spots on a website where you can appear. So what I think it'll do personally is increase the competition for those ad spots that you're gonna, obviously everybody's got access to them. Yeah, but this is not necessarily have to tie into ad spots specifically. This is more, well, not more to do with, but this is, I think, mainly targeting interstitials that take over your entire screen and stuff. Obviously, AdWords doesn't, doesn't determine the, the spaces that do that. It's just to do with whoever developed the front end of your website, I guess making sure that these, uh, these dodgy tactics aren't used. Um, but yeah, just, just going back on track a little bit, so this is in Chrome 64, so this is one of the recent versions of Chrome, so you might already have it, it's already started rolling out uh, on Android and uh, desktop platforms, it's not on iOS from what I gather, they haven't put it in iOS yet. Um, so yeah, that'll be, should be in your browser pretty soon if you've got Chrome. It's pretty interesting because if you've got another ad blocker as well, so say you've got Adblock Plus or whatever, or you've got uBlock, um, maybe there's another slot on this where Google are trying to make people think that this functionality is already in the browser, so you might disable your uh, third-party ad blocker, which might be nasty against Google's ad network in particular, and rely on Chrome, because if Chrome's going to get rid of the awkward ones that pop up and fill your screen or whatever, maybe that's a, another slot on it. Maybe they're wanting people to stop with these you know, insane ad blockers that just block everything, basically. I mean, I looked at mine today, and if you've got Google Tag Manager in your... URL anywhere of any scripts that pull into the page, you just block them out, right? So maybe Google are wanting to basically deter people from using these ad blockers that just don't like Google whatsoever and think that they're covered by what's in Chrome already. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and in terms of web development and web developers, this stuff's going to be built into Google Webmaster Tools. So it's actually already available now. I checked some of our client sites earlier. Um, but none of our sites are in there yet, so it's just this, like pending review or something. So I imagine that's they're just going through every single site, I guess, so it's going to take them a while. Um, and supposedly it's going to have like screenshots of um, problems on your site, which would be interesting. I don't know how that's going to work. Because if these interstitials pop up after a minute or whatever, 
don't know how uh, Google's call is going to deal with that, but supposedly it is, and it's going to point it out, and it'll basically, what it'll do is if you're an offending site, it'll pause all your ads from showing on your site until you've reviewed it, and then you can look at Google's screenshots, etc., um, correct your site or rectify your problems, resubmit it, and then Google will look at it, and then if it's all right, it'll we'll let you carry on with whatever ads you've already got, um, providing they're above board or past the rules or stringent checks that we put in place. Yeah. Um, so that'll be interesting because there might be tons of web dev work up for grabs soon when uh, clients see all these errors in the webmaster tools thing and realise that Google have just destroyed the, all, their ad, all their ads on the site. Um, so that'll be interesting to see what happens with all that. Yeah. Um, I think Google have probably been a little bit more innocent than, in this than people think, though. I think that even though, obviously, publishers will you know, use those ad spots independently and people will be able to buy those directly through the website for the obviously the pre-roll and the yep. obviously the autoplay stuff and things that come up there but you know some advertisers pay like top buck for these these most disruptive ones so I don't know how that's going to affect the the ad exchange or because even though Google you know don't probably have you know this in the open exchange on a, an auction system mm. they'll probably be a direct buy option within DoubleClick, for example, to engage with these publishers that do these premium and like uh, obviously these ad spots that they're getting rid of. So I think it will disrupt it in some way. And I, I do think that there'll be more competition um, than for the other ad spots across content websites. What that'll do for auction prices and stuff, I don't know. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing either. I think a lot of those um, institutional and, you know, all the pre-roll and um, autoplay ads they are really disruptive and they don't really mean a lot I think and I, you know it does annoy people when you know you do land on a website and it starts playing before you've even got a chance to read some content that you're interested in mm. it's just too much I think that everybody's sort of realising that now um, but yeah I think for the advertising ecosystem and the publisher uh, server side as well I think it's probably going to have a little bit of an impact to what degree I don't know but I'm sure there'll be something leading on from it yeah, there's lots of other intricacies. I mean, we could go on for quite a bit about this. Um, I know I read that autoplay videos with sound are going to be like sort of caught by this system. Well, that's not necessarily an ad, is it? That could be part of the content. So I don't know what happens in that. How do they determine if it's an ad or not? And it's because it's sticky. It completely takes over your canvas of your screen, doesn't it? So Yeah, but why? Yeah. it doesn't necessarily have to be an ad, does it? Oh, yeah, because an autoplay video won't be served from GDN, will it? No, not necessarily. Well, no. So it, it they'll be able to differentiate between an embedded video without a play and an ad without a play. That's a video. Okay. There's also other bits well, like um, sites with paywalls and stuff. But what's going to happen to them? That's an ad, isn't it? Essentially, in an official, usually takes over your page or cuts short the content or whatever. Is that is that classes as something that's taking? Because I know there's something in theory of amount of height that an ad takes up on the screen. So are we just talking GDN now? Are we just talking any ads? Are we talking things that stick up? Like large sticky things. Well, that, that's the thing. You, you can negotiate depending on what ad placements available on a on a publisher's site. They'll, they'll do whatever they want to. Obviously, they can choose whatever um, coverage you have on their mm. site. It's just how they want to sell it off. Now, that's what I mean. Even though double double click or Google will be taking a stake out of that if they're serving to that website and there's been maybe a, a private deal negotiated there or something between somebody there, they're losing their stake out of that because that ad is not being served mm. regardless of whether it's on, you know, just the open exchange auction. That, has to, that ad has to be served from somewhere. Yeah. And obviously somebody's not, not going to be paying for that then. 
and obviously it's going to bite publishers in the backside as well because the they've got fewer places to show so you know they're not going to be monetizing the website in the same way that the there were before so is that how we're guessing this work this is going to work then it's going to basically look through sites and look for ad network urls that are pulling into that site whether it's gdn or another ad server is that what we're saying well there's multiple um it, it's not just the gdn it's mm. anybody that's using the browser it'll track a publisher's website and say whether it's got a uh, an ad that sort of fits within this format yeah i was just i was coming at it from a bit of a different angle and thinking that it's just going to look for an interstitial interstitial or whatever you want to call it modal that sticks over the page whether that's got an ad in it or not, it could just be a bit of copy that says, go and buy this product of an affiliate link to Amazon. Yeah. I thought it was going to be more of a, a UI test rather than a, let's see if an ad network's content's getting pulled into this page type of test. I don't know. Oh, so you're thinking of a way of getting around it would be for a site to create their own pop-up without yeah, a using bit. GDN? Yeah, Because Google's already got technology to track that, right? They already penalise you in the service for taking over a page with something. Yeah, they can do, yeah. So I thought it was going to basically be an amalgamation of that technology with maybe some sort of, I don't know, I don't know technically how this would work. But regardless of what network that, that space has been bought through, mm. it's still been shown that whatever deal's been you know, struck there, somebody's eventually going to be not paying for that ad space and somebody's not going to be selling that ad space. So it doesn't matter what kind of content it is that they're showing, even if they're just serving it themselves, mm. and somebody will have normally agreed um, some sort of fee for showing that that content. Yeah, just what, what, going back to what I said about paywalls and stuff though, because you're selling your own wares there, aren't you, basically? You're just promoting your own stuff on your own site. So... Is that this or not? I guess that's interesting. We've got to remember that Google's been open and transparent about this being put into Chrome. However, Google will make the rules fundamentally on how well it works, if you like. So I think where potentially um, a deal that's been struck that's more lucrative, like with someone like the Financial Times or Forbes, where they have a quote window where there's GDM placements, mm. that's going to be worth a lot of money. I would say that the rules will be bent a little bit for things like that. Yeah. I think it's pretty cut and dry. If it's just a, a, a GDN script or an ad, another ad server script pulling in and taking over your 56% you know, of your viewport, then that's pretty easy for Google. Yeah. I was more about the education stuff, but I guess just have to see how that works. Interesting. Be interesting to see what sites get penalised for it. I'm sure there'll yeah, be some cases and some uproar. Yeah, yeah. I think they're giving people if people who aren't compliant now. I think they're giving them about 30 days or something to become compliant, mm. and then it's going to take effect from there. Interesting. Or, or won't allow to show any ads across the whole of the website. So that's a well, that's, that's a harder pill to swallow in it if you yeah. think about it. Webmaster Tools do... tells you says that you've been paused since this date. Then you got you need to rectify and resubmit it, and then we'll re-review it, and then we'll unpause you from. From serving ads at all. Yeah, well, that, that's where the obviously the bigger losses are going to be for everybody, for advertisers and for publishers, because they're not monetizing the website mm. uh, space that the, the could be. And obviously, advertisers are able to buy uh, space that was available before that are now available. Mm. So even if they get penalized, if they're shutting the whole site down for serving ads, then that's going to have a big impact on you know the full ecosystem, really. Even if it's like 5% of websites that stop showing. There's going to, that's why I'm saying there's going to be undoubtedly more competition in the space for other publisher sites then and they'll put the prices up and then advertisers will have to pay more. It'll just have a knock-on effect. Mm. 
You find it hard to believe that Google are going to stop serving GDN ads to a huge traffic website in terms of the revenue that they can essentially generate from that. Well, yeah, but if, if the like you say, advertising boards try to enforce it, so well, I guess exactly. they've got it's to avoid it. They've got to yeah. sing to their tune, haven't they? The same as mm. Facebook and Instagram will have to do. If um, you know, if if they're appointed to do something like this, they're, they're going to have to tidy it up eventually. I'm sure they've probably dragged it out for as long as they can without doing anything. There'll just be another opportunity that opens, will there? But I think yeah. on this particular case, it's not Google that have necessarily. Well, they haven't made the decision to, uh, you know, get this technology in place. But at the same time, they'll have been under a lot of pressure to to get to this point by this coalition trade body. Yep. Okay. So next, um, we're going to discuss. I read an article in Forbes. Um, it's around convincing executives to buy into content marketing. So. Um, I'm not going to dig into this article specifically too much. I just think that the the point that it gets across, and we'll link the article um, in the video, but um, the point that it gets across is that executives and CMOs and people in that sort of position are still reluctant to put money against developing content, um, even though at this stage content's been put on um, put sort of front of house in terms of marketing. In the last, certainly the last 18 months, people are starting to accept that things like an image going across Instagram is content, a snap is content, um, a blog post on your website is obviously content. So um, I just wanted to sort of touch on the, the main point from this article where some mediums such as paid, bought media, um, things like that, deliver effective and trackable um, returns Generally, what you find is that earned traffic gets higher quality leads. So I think this, this article alludes to the fact that a well-developed piece of content will deliver a 16% traffic to lead ratio, whatever that lead may be. Um, obviously, it'll work different for different verticals, but um, I think the fact that it's being discussed in this way as a, at an exec level brings it into the public eye a little bit now that we're starting to... Um, really be able to develop content that answers a user's question or that provides value um, and that's now being backed up by tangible return on investment um, I just thought it was an interesting topic to cover um, I think it's something that we'll continue to develop but yeah well it all comes back to the effectiveness of SEO doesn't it and what how people are doing yeah. SEO nowadays for want of a better term yeah well yeah SEO is dead apparently, but if, you, if no one finds your content, then that's an argument to say the other way. The other way. Um, obviously, we don't believe that SEO is anywhere near dead. We just think it's more going down the. It's more of a search UX kind of service now. So the user experience, the technical um, discoverability, the technical standpoint, the yeah. discoverability is the, is the most important thing. Um, and then now it's going down the the sort of path that. Um, the content that you're producing needs to provide as much value as possible. It needs to answer your questions. And if you get it right, the investment in content versus the investment in other channels, which executives are more ready to throw money at, um, is way, way greater. It's the instant uh, gratification you get from the other channels, though, isn't it, as well? Yeah. Helps sway executives with a pocket full of money, pocket full of money they need to get rid of. Yep. See your results quicker, don't you? All right, the next topic we're going to touch on is um, a recent one that BBC have covered and plenty of others have covered, and it's all to do with uh, Amazon leaking data 
Uh, now that, that sort of headline or topic in itself is a bit controversial because what's happening here and Amazon have become aware of it is even though they are responsible for providing these services that offer this data, they're not responsible for the actual leaks. So what Amazon do with the web service offering, as you may well know, is that they provide essentially building blocks for you to go away and build an infrastructure, whether that's a web server, a database server, um, a file hosting service or anything like that. You can go ahead and do that and all the provisions are in place for you to create a fully secure and efficient and you know really good platform. But you can misuse these things and uh, people keep getting found out on uh, Amazon uh, Web Services S3 in particular, which is the file hosting service. Um, and what happens is it sort of tarnishes Amazon's name a little bit if people just attribute it back to them. Um, and what's happening now is you, you, there's tons of data leaks that seem to be coming out almost on a monthly or weekly basis uh, regarding huge um, privacy-related documents and images, etc. So the WWE's been caught up in it, Uber uh, varies on. This is all in the last 18 months. Um, essentially what's happening is they're opening up these S3 buckets, as Amazon call them, uh, to, to public uh, so anyone can look at them. Obviously, they've done this by accident, it's a misconfiguration. But historically with Amazon uh, AWS S3, it's been a little bit easier to do that by accident. Now, AWS S3 was the first um, Amazon Web Services offering, so it's old, really old, um, compared to the rest of the stuff anyway. Um, and way back when, obviously, these type of uh, practices for securing these things was a little bit... Um, it's not as obvious as it is today, for example, so I, I logged in earlier. And if you create a bucket now, it's public. It's, it's quite difficult to do it, and you get loads of warnings. And even if you're looking at your list of buckets, if you've got any public ones, it's really obvious it's in like bright yellow, and it says it at the top, it says it at the side. And they make it really obvious that you, you open it up to everyone. Um, well, so that, it's, uh, that, it's, that well, system and set up in itself was, was done as a way of sharing collaborative and, and encouraging collaboration between, like, I know NASA did it as an open source sort of document yeah. store um, for collaboration and that's sort of getting smashed for it being insecure and that's its purpose essentially. Yep. And I think one of these companies that they cited or leaks that they cited, they'd actually, the company in question had actually acquired another company which had set it up, so it's not even, it's not even their fault. It's like you're acquiring this infrastructure and you know, it needs, sort of needs vetting. Um, so what the BBC have said here is there's actually a group of guys that are going around now and finding these uh, leaky buckets, as people like to call it. Um, and <laughs> no not, one likes a leaky bucket. <laughs> exactly. And notifying the uh, administrators sort of before the bad guys get to it, um, which is obviously a nice, nice thing to do. Um, and there's even tools coming out. Uh, I saw one uh, called uh, Book Hacker or something earlier. Um, and, and it looked offline for the time being, but someone had made a really easy web UI for just finding these things. So it just it basically just crawls all these buckets and looks for ones that are dodgy and then exposes them so you can just find them. So it's got to that level and it's pretty bad. Um, but Amazon have come out and I know this uh, just recently. And what they've got is Amazon have got a, a trusted advisor service. And what, that used to be a bit more of a premium offering where it's, uh, what you'd have to pay a bit more for and it's more enterprise level. Uh, but they've been slowly moving um, parts of it into the, uh, into the free tier basically so you'd have to pay for it. And what it does, it basically just lists everything to do with your Amazon account and makes it can make cost efficiency suggestions it can make security suggestions and there's tons of stuff but the basically annex off all the really cool stuff for if you pay a bit more money so what they've done is they've basically taken this S3 security check and moved it into the public offering now or the free offering and so anyone can do it and you just click on trusted advisor you let it load for a minute and it'll just tell you if you've got any public writable is like a big red flag obviously public readable is like an orange flag and everything else is green it's just a really easy like checklist system 
and it points out exactly what's wrong and which buckets are uh, wrong or you know been misconfigured or potentially misconfigured and she lets you click through so you can fix it. So Amazon have realized now that they need to take a little bit of responsibility for this. Uh, I know I mentioned the UI and UX and stuff, and that has come a long way in the last few years, especially with these older services like S3. So now it's, it is pretty difficult to make a public readable bucket, let alone a public writable one. Um, you, you get plenty of warnings now, and you have to like go out of your way to click it and, and stuff. So it's a lot a lot more obvious what you're doing now and then you should be like that so a lot of these leaks are probably people that set these up years ago and the data's just been dormant and maybe no one's even logged into Amazon or S3 or anything for years and then now that it's becoming more apparent it's in the news hackers are you know spending a bit more time messing around trying to find these things um, and there's treasure troves of data that have been leaked I don't know I looked at one earlier and had like everyone's driver's licenses on it and stuff it's like <laughs> God, you need to be more careful if you're doing stuff like, storing stuff like that. I can't remember which company that was, but um, it's like three years worth of every customer's like driving license photocopied and stuff. Some of the some GDPR of the ones in it. <laughs> some of the ones that have been listed out in the last eighteen months are Uber, Verizon, WWE, US Defense, Dow Jones. Mm. So big, big people. Yeah. yeah, it's bad. So yeah, if you've got an Amazon account and you've ever used S3, just click Trusted Advisor. Um, that's basically what I have to do, and it'll tell you. It'll just flag it up. So we've got a public readable S3 bucket. Not public writable, public readable. Um, so it's not quite as bad. And all we're storing there is our email signatures. So that came up yellow for us, but obviously one that public, right? public readable, sorry. <clears throat> but it'll, you know, some of them are exceptions. You can exclude them from your checks once you've seen it and you've looked and you've gone, oh, okay, that's that, okay, I know that. So yeah, just make sure you separate your buckets out too, and then you don't end up creating stuff in a bucket with read permissions that you want it to be private. No one wants a leaky bucket. <clears throat> exactly. I don't know why they're called buckets. <laughs> Bit of a weird name, isn't it, really? But yeah. So the final topic that we're going to be discussing today is the new Google Pay that's actually come back into play, um, which has taken over Android Pay and what was the original? Google Wallet? Google Wallet. Used to be Google Wallet, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is just bit of a not not breaking news really it's just another google service that's getting a big rebrand and uh i mean my opinion on this is it's just terrible for consumers because obviously some paying for stuff it's obviously one of life's you know necessities and uh <laughs> when you when you when you've got a service that deals with this i mean you look at apple pay we've just been talking about it and it's ubiquitous now if you've got an iphone apple pay is the thing apple never changed the name of that it's always been called apple pay right whereas with google you had google wallet and no one used it no one knew what it was so just come into fruition and then uh, change to Android Pay, which is, yeah, okay, Android Pay, right? You know, the name's a little bit weird because it's tied to a mobile operating system rather than, because obviously you can do, you can pay in browser in Chrome now, right? So you'd, you'd probably go up the ladder of branding if you wanted to be ubiquitous and go across everything like Apple Pay does. Um, do you think that's why they've tried to do it to generate a bit more awareness because Google's like yeah. the top dog name people don't necessarily know what Android is do they? well I would hope that a lot of people did know what Android was but it's probably going to have it's going to resonate harder in it with the, the Google name brand name yeah. behind it there's more gravity in there with Google Pay I just think with, with rebranding exercises for a service like this obviously it relies on being in brick and mortar stores that's where you're going to use this thing well not always but you know quite a lot of times you know tap and pay and all that stuff you look at these systems it says apple pay on it doesn't it and it just seems to be recently last few months they finally managed to sort of cover quite a lot of brick and mortar shops 
with Android Pay logos, which is great. And then consumers are just getting used to it, like older generation that may not know what Android is, just see that little green robot and pay next to it and think, oh, of course, my phone can do that. Yeah. And now they're just swapping it again. So like, stop it, just stick with something, stick with one name. Now they've got to send a sticker out to every merchant in UK or whatever, or world. It's going to take your Android Pay logo down, it doesn't mean it anymore, it's defunct, and put this Google Pay logo up. There's a bit of a uh, disconnect though, isn't there, between the, the two products? Obviously, it is Google, but Android Pay and Google, they're not an exact uh, product either way. Obviously, Apple Pay is Apple products as well, so they're probably just trying to match that same thing, aren't they, really? Yeah. Just, it's just annoying that they keep changing stuff. It's and the way in which they go about it. Mm. They don't do any marketing leading up to it to try and preserve it or to try and inform people that they're changing. They just send out an email. There you go, it's changed. Yep. So it's just like, oh. I mean, what about people that, uh, let's say they update in their apps and they don't take any notes of what's going on, which is pretty much everyone. And then um, they come to, app, to pay for something with the phone tomorrow and they're looking for the Android Pay logo and it's not there. What, 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 you know, there's no migration, or is there's no, like, you know what I mean? Like, for consumers that don't keep up with tech news, I don't know what Android is, for example. Yeah. You just click on that button on the phone and tap it on something, and it's not there next day because it's changed. It's not only changed its name, changed its icon, changed all of the branding, it's just gone. Probably not bothered, it's, it's not like they're going to offer any customer support for it or anything. They're going <laughs> exactly. to be getting complaints down the phone. It's just, it is what it is, and they'll transition, and people, yeah, they might well go into a shop and try and load their app up and it, and it not work, but they'll soon, soon yeah. find out, won't they? And then yeah. once they do a little bit of research, they'll uh, transition. I don't think they're going for, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're going for, you know, being recognised as the brand that pleases everybody here. I think mm. it's just a, we want to make this move and we will make this move. Yeah, it's just, it just seems annoying and it's a shame from the marketing department's point of view. I know they've done tons to push Android Pay in the last few years. I mean, putting stickers in every shop is a big push. Don't know how much that cost. And then you've got the, the Android Pay um, thing for Christmas where you got free vouchers for using it, pushed it into Uber and made it really easy to use. You know, people have just started becoming familiar with, with Android Pay as like the Google way of paying for stuff electronically and now it's just not, it's just changed. Yeah. Seems a shame. <laughs> just annoying. Spoken like a group of people who deal with Google. <laughs> just annoys me why they can't settle on stuff. Like yeah. Surely if they wanted to call it Google Pay, they should have decided that when they launched it, or pretty soon after, before they put spent more It's kind of typical of Google, though, isn't it? Because they, they really do want the, the brand in front of everybody, don't they? Anywhere they can get any assets that they've got, any relationships mm. or collateral that they've got, they want the Google brand name to be um, the highest up on that ranking, don't they, really? So. Well, surely when the conversation were happening about Google Wallet, Google Pay might, must have been thrown in there. Probably, yeah. yeah probably. It didn't help that um, <clears throat> Google Play Store was called Google Play for a bit, which is one letter off. Mm. So you get into that territory as well. Maybe Don't get me started on that, actually, because I've got good. Google Auto <laughs> annoys me, and Google Drive, because surely Drive is more apt for... What, it's called Google Auto, right, that one, you're doing your car? Yes. Right, no, so Android Auto. Android Auto. So Google Drive, that's sure that's like a, a misnomer a little bit. It's like context. If you're not contextually aware of what it is, to, to drive a hard drive, like surely drive in your car. And then auto, is that auto? <laughs> so automobile, okay, I get it, context. But if you didn't know about the context, like auto, you know, automatic, what is it? I don't know, could be auto. I think it's so, once you've got so many products, it's hard, isn't it, I guess? I think they were going for the pickup on it as well at the time. Obviously, everybody knew that they had either an Android phone 
didn't they? Or an iPhone. So I think they were probably looking for the recognition of the people might not form that association with having an Android phone and having a Google account. Yeah, but Apple straight away knew not to call it iPay because it's not necessarily going to be on an iDevice. You could do it on a MacBook. So it's like, why didn't Google figure that out and just call it Google? Stick with Google and then a word rather than have muddy the waters of Android. Yeah, I know what you're saying, but I think people people know if they've got an Android phone. I don't or know if they do. They don't know the <laughs> they don't know if they've got a Google phone or not. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. The, mm. the brand's more connected with you know um, Apple. It's it's in the branding and in it. But look it's, at the Play Store again. So it used to be called Android Marketplace, right? And now it's for the last few years it's been Google Play and Google Play Store or whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, it just seems. Still, it seems like no one's decided. It seems like there's no coherence between the teams. And when you come back to what you're saying about putting Google on everything, so look at Gmail, it's one of the biggest and widely used Google services, right? I don't have Google in the names, Gmail. It was Google Mail for a time, though. I know, but you know, like everything else is Google something. But I think that one's not. I think because there's probably not or slim to no consideration for cost for rebranding and redoing everything. It could be just all a PR ploy because every single tech publication is now talking about Google as GPay. Surely it'd be nice to talk just, about it in a good light. Maybe it's just an ongoing cycle and they just think, well, we'll just change the name of something. And Microsoft then, are good at doing that. And then it'll get absolutely blanket coverage of all media outlets. Well, how many names? Yeah, this is going way off topic, but yeah, Microsoft do that. Every like three or four years, the marketing team just throw the names out and start again. The amount of different names that Hotmail's had since, since it launched. Like live Outlook, Outlook. Live, yeah. what, just, just keep, every few years they're just throwing bin and start again they know they're going to get free publicity and coverage with this kind of stuff I mean look what we're doing now is that good about there's going to be a ton of people especially in our industry banging on about this now and it's don't really mean anything does I, it really in the, in the tech world though it's alright I just feel for consumers and sh- I mean shopkeepers well, how are they supposed to keep up they, they, they don't know anything about Android and Google for necessarily so it's like Swap this sticker in the shop and they go, what, I just did that. Yeah. So I'm like, what is Android Pay? I don't know what it is. And then, yeah, back to square one out here, educating people all over again. So to sum up, <laughs> Android Pay is now Google Pay. Right, that's it. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, that was episode five. Uh, we'll be coming back soon with episode six, I'm sure. So please comment below in the uh, little YouTube box or whatever channel you're watching this on. Uh, let us know if you've got any topic suggestions or if you've got any questions. Or if you want to tell us our opinions are all wrong, that's fine. We're <laughs> open to that too. Um, and you can get us on social at Phone Digital across all channels. Same stuff, you want to chip in with comments, questions, topics on there, go ahead and we'll uh, try and get some because we're running out of ideas, aren't we? <laughs> See ya. Bye. <laughs>